0: Hello, and welcome to The Demographicast. We are back after a short hiatus. Uh, We have chopped and changed a bit of the format, so we no longer will be including the uh, current events section anymore. Simply to try and place the focus back on the topic that our guest is gonna be bringing to us. Um, This week, we spoke to Bean Nichols, who is one of the organizers of the Free the Nipple movement in Brighton. Uh, She's super interesting to to talk to, um, and I hope you enjoy. If you have any questions, please feel free to, to comment or, or ask us, um, on our socials. And as always follow on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on to stay updated, um, and receive new notifications, um, for when we release new episodes every week, um, I hope you enjoy. Hi, B, How are you?
1: Hey, I'm good. Thank you. How are you guys doing?
0: Good. How are you, Jack?
2: Good. I'm good, thanks. Yeah, 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 good to be back doing podcasts I know. again. I went on one yesterday, I was saying to Brett, I went on one yesterday at uh, somebody else's, and I got so fired up because I hadn't done a podcast in solo. Like, it was nice to be able to just have a platform to rant about the world. It's been like a month now, so my family have like um, got the, the brunt of all my rants about how <laughs> terrible the government are and everything. So it's good to be back. I'm uh, glad I'm glad we're back I, up and running. I here. pity
0: your family. Hopefully we can try and take some of that out of them. Um, yeah, so the sure format of this has right, changed a little bit. We're not doing current events anymore and uh, we're gonna try and keep it a bit more compact. So uh, hopefully we'll see how that goes. B, I um, I wanted to just sort of basically just start off and jump straight in by asking you what the Free the Nipple movement is all about.
1: Free the Nipple is a global movement um, predominantly about kind of body equality Um, The focus is on nipple equality, so in some places in the world um, it's illegal for women to show their nipples in public, whereas for men it's extremely commonplace. That's a kind of broad stroke um, idea behind the movement. Um, Obviously locally um, and in different parts of the world the movement takes on a different form depending on what the rules are um, within that area. So in the UK, it's not actually illegal for women to be topless, which I think is a common um, Mm, misconception. Yes, Mm -hmm. is that the right word? Yeah. I think people. um, I think it's it's kind of socially illegal. So if a woman was to expose a nipple in almost any kind of public situation, she gets socially shamed and socially ostracised. So that could mean. Being kind of disrespected sexually, it could be catcalled, it could be uh, being told she's kind of disgusting or indecent, being thrown out of, you know, a cafe for breastfeeding. Um, you know, we we hear about these stories all the time of women kind of, um, yeah, being being sort of ostracised for um, for breastfeeding their children or for sunbathing topless, um, and yeah, almost any kind of situation like that where a woman would have her nipple out. Um, especially when it would be commonplace for a man to have his nipple out such as on the beat, Um, we find this kind of social double standard. So the UK movement is really about breaking down that double standard and understanding what it's all about. Um, For me, the root of the issue is the male gaze. So we have this kind of dictatorship of the male gaze that sees breasts as an inherently sexual part of the body, whereas, um, you know, Biologically, they're not sex organs. They're not defined as that within science. Um, They have a perfectly normal function. And sometimes it's okay to get, you know, to get your nipples out, especially if you're feeding a child. Um, But also, you know, it's not just about breastfeeding. It's also just about, um, yeah, kind of attitudes to bodies. And, you know, can we actually fight for the right to just have a neutral body? Can we fight for the right to, to sort of exist within a context where our bodies aren't, uh, um, yeah, like, um, yeah, it's like the compulsory sexualization, I Mm. would say, of bodies. Yeah.
0: How how did you end up leading the one in Brighton? How long has that happened for as well? I can't, I I did look it up, but I've forgotten.
1: So the Brighton, um, so Brighton's a very special place. First of all, I think it's important to say that everyone in Brighton wants to save the world. There's protests happening (laughs) all the time. People are like, love getting naked. And sort of yeah living this like hippie like utopic life um so it's the perfect place really to to start a free the nipple movement um there were a couple of events going on um prior to me getting involved the first one i forget the year um but i think there were four attendees um and it was it was organized by friends of mine um they everyone yes before attendees met and then walked to the pub topless and uh there wasn't much kind of going on there a couple of years later um a woman organized a very anarchic kind of spontaneous march which i attended um it was really fun but yeah like I say, it was it was quite anarchic it was quite chaotic um there wasn't i felt there wasn't like a clear message about what the um, event was about and it wasn't very accessible so um yeah i contacted the um organizer of that event and said um you know can i help are you doing it again like do you need anyone to help you organize the next event and she said no i've moved away um and she said um why don't you organize it and i said what no like <laughs> i don't know how to do that um that sounds so scary and like what no absolutely not and then um thought about it for a bit and um and go, actually, maybe I could have a, have a go at it. How do you, you know, how do you go about um, organising a protest? Um, so I did some research. I met with some people that had done kind of similar things in the past. I assembled a, a cracks team of amazing people um, who were willing to give their time and their skills to get it off the ground. So we had people who were running the social media. We had videographers, photographers, artists, um, people who were willing to steward, um, deal with the police. Um, so, yeah, we got this kind of amazing team together. Um, most of those people are still involved. Um, and yeah, so and we put on the first event in 2017. Um, and yeah, it was really successful right from the from the get-go. Um, lots of people attended. Um, and yeah, it's just been getting kind of stronger since then, really. Um, so, yeah. <laughs>
2: So I, I mean I've got so many questions. but uh, I, Funnily enough, just complete coincidence, um, I was in Brighton when the I believe the 2019 March was happening. Just you know, okay. complete coincidence. I was down there for for the day, and the kind of atmosphere around the march and all the protest and the uh, response from the sort of public was amazing. And one of the <laughs> things that I was I was saying to to Brett was. Um, and I'm sure we'll get more into sort of like the the kind of social pressure, if you want to call it that, um, in a bit, but the the sort of liberation that must be kind of felt at the the sort of protest or whatever must be such an incredible feeling to be surrounded by people, um, you know, kind of all with that same aim, it must be amazing. And just, you know, of course, so important to uh, kind of just destigmatize these crazy sort of stigmas that we still have surrounding um, particularly female nudity. That must be such an incredible you know kind of thing to experience
1: yeah personally my own journey with my body has been really informed by being part of the free the nipple movement i i've i'd say i've always been quite confident um to an extent but um obviously you know being a woman in this kind of beauty obsessed patriarchy that we live in it's it's very easy to let these kinds of Um, ideas about, um, you know, what you should and shouldn't look like creep in and, um, you know, it's human nature to just internalize this culture um, that surrounds us. Being part of Breathe the Nipple really um, just smashed so much of that away from me. We have have people, you know, as uh, well into their 70s coming along. Um, You know, there are fat bodies, there are trans bodies, there are people of color taking their clothes off, there are people with disabilities we have people showing their scars in public for the first time. Even, um, you know, a friend of mine um, wasn't able to kind of show her arms or her legs in public just due to body image issues. And after, like, two years of coming to, the, to free the nipple, she was able to, like, take her clothes off and, and get the, the, yeah, the sun on her skin. And, um, yeah, just seeing the variety of different kinds of bodies that are out there We don't see that, we don't see that anywhere. And I feel like, yeah, kind of culturally, the naked female body is something that is always kind of hinted at in films, and in TV, and in in lots of our media. Online, you know, on Instagram and Facebook and so on, there's this kind of tease of of the naked female body. But we only often see one, sort of version of that and yeah to be in this kind of real life setting where there's this unfiltered uncensored um yeah kind of like body freedom going on and you get to see that variety yeah it really it it really helped me with my own feelings about Mm. my own body yeah i'm sure
2: yeah so to come back i just wanted to come back to the sort of organization and your kind of aims as an organization is is it primarily about removing those sort of the those stigmas and giving people the ability once a year to come and have that feeling of freedom or are there sort of broader kind of aims or goals or policy objectives surrounding the the movement as well
1: so yeah i guess the main focus of the movement is quite conceptual so it's yeah it's about destabilizing this male gaze dictatorship and the there are many sort of offshoots to that one of the sort of main sort of yeah offshoots, I guess, would be uh, the the sort of issue of censorship online on social media, and the kind of um, the messages that sends. Um, we we're, we're yeah we've been personally quite challenged by that, trying to market the campaign um, and having to censor sure. our own images in order to not be kicked off. Facebook, which I mean, I've been kicked off Facebook many times. I don't really use it anymore as a result. Um, so that that's quite a that's a difficult one for us as a movement to really get close to because it's such a huge issue. But raising yeah. awareness, raising awareness around the sort of problems that that raises and the yeah the idea that a nipple in any contact any context will be viewed as like pornographic trying to kind mm. of dismantle that idea um, yeah, is definitely a focus. But the, yeah, I guess the other sort of things that we we try to speak about um, both like on the years and we do kind of side events as well. And with our like marketing online, the things that we try and talk about are, um, yeah, dismantling the sort of obsession with the gender binary, you know, whose nipples are and aren't allowed what a body should look like what those gender expectations are that's a that's a, a big thing um trying to support mothers who do or don't want to breastfeed or the many complex issues around that um age aging bodies beauty youth the obsession with the kind of um childlike hairless, perky body um trying to kind of destroy those beauty expectations um and, yeah, just general ideas around, yeah, patriarchy and body sure. quality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So just a few different uh, aspects <laughs> then. Yeah. I mean, uh, when, when we, uh, you, you mentioned um, the sort of social media sites impact on this, and I think that's probably the most prominent example. It was the first time I heard about the Free the Nipple movement was via Instagram. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, of different campaigns, in particular, as we've started to do more, work in and around the sort of sex and relationships of the community, particularly on social media and the sex positivity movements. Um, is the reason that you aren't allowed to show, or you aren't allowed to display the female nipple on Instagram or Facebook particularly, um, just to pr- try and prevent pornography? Is that the, the only reason or is that the reason that they give?
1: So nipples are, women's nipples are considered nudity and nudity is lumped in with sex and pornography whereas men's nipples are not considered nudity so this kind of rule we find that in social digital spaces such as instagram but we also find it in other spaces such as like theater and um clubs and stuff like that so i don't know if if you've ever been to see, like, a ballet show or something, like, the women will often keep their nipples covered, even if they're stripping, yeah. they'll have, like, the tassels and stuff on. If the venue doesn't have a nudity licence, those, you know, the nipples, it's not legal for the nipples to be on show, they don't have a licence for that, because women's nipples are considered to be nudity, whereas men's nipples are considered to be as normal as an elbow or an earlobe. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> and is that a policy... Is that a government policy thing, or is that a, a policy that uh, you know these establishments, whatever, have decided to adopt?
1: I believe does that come it's
2: from a, central government.
1: I believe it's a licensing issue. Right. So, so um, I
2: mean, it does it goes all the way to sort of central government and, and the licenses they're and the way that those licenses are issued.
1: I I believe so. Yeah. Right. So and yeah, I guess like the problems that that raises is just this. This double standard of the idea yeah the idea around women's bodies being inherently pornographic and sexual whereas men can be in a context Mm. but there isn't this kind of mandatory um you know whenever we see a naked man it always means sex which is what we find um with with women's bodies and I just yeah it's it's difficult as well because we're not just talking about kind of sexy women's bodies I think a lot of people like a lot of blokes I know are kind of like laughing being like oh yeah I support free the nipple movement I want to see loads of tits and they kind of imagine these like you know wonderful like bouncing breasts like coming along bright and deep Uh, but what they're not what they're not ready for are breasts that they're not they don't find attractive and I think that also comes into it this kind of like repulsion at at the female body and this kind of demand that women's body should be sexy all the time and it's like you know yeah i i feel that um that the double standard yeah it also kind of bleeds into into that and and visibility for women's bodies that don't fit the beauty standard is also really important
0: I remember seeing the that ridiculous post I think that circulated a couple of years ago on Instagram where uh, they were sort of showing, it was like a picture of a, a topless lady, but they had photoshopped male nipples onto yeah. her nipples yeah. and that didn't get censored or removed. Uh, yeah, which...
1: we, we, uh...
0: Sorry, go on? go on. Oh, <laughs> I was just going to say it perfectly <laughs> displays how, uh, how, um, the double standard that you were just talking about.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I um... Our amazing videographer, Dory, who heads up the production company, Fish Out Award for Films, they've made our film every year. um, We've always had a bit of a battle about where to sort of host the video because it has been taken down for like pornography reasons several times, but um, one year they painstakingly went through frame by frame, placing male nipples (laughs) over the top of every single pair of female nipples in the video um out of sheer determination and spite and it was incredible and it didn't get taken down so a version of, so... of our <laughs> video exists with literally hundreds of male nipples censoring uh the female nipples which is kind of amazing
2: that is so crazy it really is i mean like what point have we got to where that I mean, uh, props to the the production company and the team because I mean, that must have taken ages. But the (laughs) fact that that even has to be done to prove a point is, I mean, if that's not indicative of the kind of situation we're in and, you know, there are obviously, you know, there are obviously situations within general life where I don't particularly want to look at most blokes topless, you know, is there are situations if I was in, in a restaurant, for example, Nobody came in with their top off or a group of boys came in with their, their tops off i think oh come on lads like you know nobody really wants to see it yet. but they have the ability to right and that's the thing and, and it it goes down to the for me the real crux of it is the the breastfeeding argument i remember having this debate at university a lot um because it was kind of used as a case study for kind of uh liberation arguments and that that point of view of well i don't want to see it you know i don't want i don't want to see it what well, it, is it's not about what you want to see. You know, it's like when it comes to something like breastfeeding, this has to happen, you know, just the same as you eat. Why do you have to sexualize absolutely every element of what women's lives? And that comes back to the point I was talking about with the kind of liberation that you must feel at these events is when that sexualization has gone on through almost every stage, probably every stage of, of your life, the ability to say, well, actually, fuck you, i are not going to sort of <laughs> adhere to this anymore um is is amazing and, and hopefully uh, i know there's only been what what is it three four marches three um, three yeah continuing to do that kind of thing will, will heighten the sort of pressure on on policymakers to, to take the decisions that will actually start to um change perceptions from a, a societal level because really I, it's my belief that until that happens um those things won't really change and uh it's it's, it's a real shame and it's incumbent on on companies too right that they make the decision that they allow this kind of thing to, to take place particularly the breastfeeding I like women should not be kicked out of a coffee shop for, for breastfeeding their child I mean it, it, that is it's really awful that that, that still goes on
1: yeah. yeah I don't I I don't think um, I don't think companies have the right to like eject a woman for breastfeeding I think it I think when we were sort of speaking about the policies earlier it would be more about kind of um, thinking about yeah stuff like theater or performances sure. or if, if there was a band playing and the woman was topless or something like you'd quite often go and see a band wouldn't you and the, one of the men might take their tops off if they were drumming or something yeah um if a woman have was you not seen the that, videos
2: though of, of sort of like workers in restaurants or or, or coffee shops asking people to to like cover up or go into the bathroom though like i mean yeah. it, happens. it yeah, happens yeah 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 um, i don't
1: i don't believe they've got any legal standing sure, right, to do right. that though Um, But, yeah, I mean, those examples are many. And, um, you know, I I remember a few years back, there was a a woman who was told to cover up when she was in an art gallery, an art gallery where there were many hundreds (laughs) of naked women on canvases. And, yeah, it's just, yeah, just this double standard of, like, the objectification of of women on the canvas, um, you know, this sort of passive object um, Mm. of, of, yeah, like, sex and desire and beauty Mm. but but a real functional body doing what it's designed to do um you know it it's it it jars with our conditioning i i think that's what what people sort of maybe don't realize is that when something make you know something makes you feel uncomfortable it's kind of important to ask why and i think when we've all been brought up in this world where breasts and sex are so immense when you see a breast you know even if it's even if it's just you know on a on, on a breastfeeding mother or someone done bathing with their family or gardening or swimming or whatever it is playing the drums like we were saying earlier um you know your brain just thinks sex because that's our conditioning um so yeah i think it is important to challenge that conditioning and i think things like free the nipple will have a you know a knock-on effect to yeah. um change the the framing um around that sure
0: it's so it's so strangely ingrained in our society in the uk um i I wanted to sort of ask if you have any theories about why that why that's the case in particular just because i'm thinking about when i was when i lived in france the the how much more acceptable it is um it's not even really seen as an as an issue because there are uh, like things that you'd never see here in the UK, like, um, shampoo adverts on the TV in the middle of the day with naked men. Well, not for, you know, not the, <laughs> the genitals area, but uh, topless men or topless women showing nipples of both in the middle of the day, you know, it's not really considered taboo or anything that in the summer, the, the beaches are, are packed with women who are sunbathing topless. Um it's just it seems so strange that it's such a big thing here in the UK when I wouldn't necessarily consider France much more advanced in from a feminist point of view I, I'm just curious to find out what that what what the difference is there why is it that in France there the, the female nipple is so much less sexualized than it is in the UK have you got any theories
1: it's an interesting point we've discussed this a lot because mm. it is like like you say in in lots of places in europe it is quite normal just to especially on the beach to see um much more nudity than we're comfortable with socially here in in the uk um i suppose like one theory that it could be that it's in places where it's hotter um you generally do see more skin on people and um perhaps Mm -hmm. just incrementally that makes a difference um but yeah, either way, like the idea that um, these kind of social and cultural norms are like hardwired into us, I think that idea just needs to be binned because, um, you know, society can change. And in the UK, if you go back to sort of societies gone by, if you if you showed too much of your legs below the knee, that was seen as really um, scandalous and um, promiscuous, and society has changed since then, mm. um, sure. and that's not that long ago, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think there's lots of evidence around us suggesting that societies can change. There's, like you say, France, Spain, like cultures very nearby to us, who um, who have kind of normalised that within their culture, and also within the UK culture, we've we've changed a lot in our views when it comes to the sort of skin that can and can't be shown so yeah I have high hopes
2: (laughs) good I mean I I, I would I would say that for me the the interesting part and obviously all of this is interesting but the the interesting part for me is that there is still a lot of backlash particularly for women for wearing bikinis in this country you know if you wear or you go out on a night out and you wear something that's a tiny bit revealing or you show a bit of breast or whatever you you wear a short short skirt there can actually be real real world repercussions for that. I mean, there was this the case, I think it was like the year before of um, uh, a lady who was undergoing a job change. And she the process had gone really well, and then posted a picture of herself on Instagram in a bikini um, with friends and the company withdrew her application because of that. I mean, if we're not if we're still at that point, you know, where somebody can't wear a bloody bikini, what do you expect people to wear at the beach like jeans and a, a jumper, which is what Brett often wears? when he <laughs> um <laughs> what, what what do you you know there's there's that i mean i guess i don't want to push back against your hope because i think that it's really uh really you know inspiring but if if we're still at that point where somebody can't wear a bloody you know bathing suit or whatever um that it shows how how long we have to go how far we have to go uh and the society is still hyper in in all areas in not and not in a healthy way you know i don't think sexualization in when done positively and, and sexual liberation i think that's a fantastic thing but we have this incredibly hyper sexualized but negative sexualization within society um and I, I worry particularly with kind of the way that that we have for both men and women body image um sort of this kind of perfect body image pushed upon us we were talking earlier about love island coming back and that that, that sort of shows like that the the kind of body image um Perceptions and, and expectations that programs like that push, we still, I think, probably have a lot of work to do. And these, why these discussions are so important um, to have, and why your movement's so important uh, to continue, because we always have to be pushing those things forward. Because if we don't, they, they do start to regress.
1: Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, that what you said there's made me think of so many things. Um, and, and these examples of women being not taken seriously to having a sexuality or just having a body in a bikini is just absurd Mm. Um, and I think I think this comes down to again this kind of male gaze dictatorship where women are viewed through that patriarchal lens and it's not possible to separate out women um, and you know to an extent also like trans and non-binary people this issue really impacts them as well because the obsession with the gender binary and the obsession with kind of seeing women in a certain way those issues also really impact the trans community um but yeah basically viewing people through the male gaze means that there are there's the default which is the man and he can do what he likes he can choose to be sexual he can choose to be serious he can off his body and look smart and look sexy and it doesn't compromise who he is as a person. You know, if a man wants to look sexy, he can wear a suit, he wears a suit to work, you know, those two things are kind of one and the same. You know, if a woman looks sexy, she has to tread this very careful line between being disrespected or being seen as trashy um, or, you know, the other way being seen as kind of prudish or whatever. Um, And, you know, this this kind of male default means that everybody, everybody else is the other. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, they're judged by a different set of rules. Yeah.
2: Where does that particularly, you, you mentioned the male gaze, this sort of like concept of a male gaze dictatorship specifically and wanting to destabilize that, where does that come from in your view? What do you mean? The male gaze, specifically, you know, if if that's something that that sort of over time is is kind of entrenched in our our viewpoint, particularly as, as men, where do you think that where do you think that comes from, and how do you go about destabilizing that?
1: I think it just comes from patriarchy. It comes from kind of power structures around masculinity, um, also around um, heterosexuality and the, the prominence of heterosexual relationships. Um, I think that there's been many double standards for a long time around sex um, and sexuality and the things that women can do and what they get a name for if they do that and the things that men can do time and time again and it's just boys will be boys. Um, I th- yeah, I think it's been very prevalent in our society um, for a long, long time. Yeah. I think the ways the ways that those things can be destabilised um, come down to, re- yeah, removing, removing the idea of the man as the default. Um, I think that's something that I've come across a lot, is that, yeah, I guess we're kind of accustomed to this way of life and anything that sort of jars with that feels... I think, can feel very uncomfortable for men, you know. Um, And it can feel like an attack on men's rights sometimes when, you know, different groups start to say, like, hey, can we have a little bit of your privilege? You know, I think that can feel very confrontational and very upsetting for men. Um, But, you know, it has to happen. I think that there's a lot of ground that women need to make up, that people of colour need to make up, the LGBT community, um, you know, that that space needs to be given and the power needs to be shared out a little bit. And I think over time, um, you know, once things, yeah, I get, uh, once things become a bit more fair um, and equally shared out, I think that you go some of the way to, to destabilising the male gaze because it stops becoming the default lens through which society is viewed. But, I also have my own theories about the way that capitalism depends on this situation being unfair but maybe that's a different podcast episode. It's
2: so I'm it's, interested so if you want to go into it then please feel free to. It's uh
0: it's so difficult to kind of point out exactly where the male this uh, the male gaze concept comes from or what's contributed to it because there are so many varying factors that have existed for centuries if not thousands of years um because you know you can it it doesn't take a, a genius to to have noticed when going through the school curriculum and learning about history to notice that probably the most of the people you're learning about are men um and so on and i wanted to kind of ask you a question a bit in terms of uh playing a little bit devil's advocate here uh i wanted to ask what if you think that the, this movement is the most important uh, thing to be, a feminist thing to be dealing with. That might not be worded particularly correctly, but if you see what
2: I'm- For sure, like when there's, when we're looking at women's rights, there's so many aspects that can be covered, particularly internationally. Um, Is, is, I guess the question would be, is this the thing that- Is this a priority? I suppose. Particularly in the UK, yeah.
1: No not at all um i think it. a little <laughs> he wasn't expecting that I wasn't. I <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's one piece of the jigsaw puzzle that i found myself in and i'm looking after it but there's many many complex intersectional issues surrounding feminism surrounding white supremacy surrounding the kind of dominance of heterosexuality and you know gender norms and class, all these kinds of issues are, are incredibly important, and free the Nipple, you know, is is comparatively quite a light-hearted movement, um, but it, it connects to important things, and sure. Brighton, yeah, has, like I said earlier, everyone wants to save the world in Brighton. Free the Nipple has enabled me to meet and connect up with a lot of people that are doing some really important things, and... You know i think activism as a whole is is really vital and and if you can yeah take responsibility for one of those little jigsaw puzzle pieces in the big jigsaw puzzle then i think that's great Mm. you know i don't think we don't live single issue lives um life is intersectional so um you know you've got to look after if you can look after something yourself great um, yeah. If you can just provide support to some other movements as well, then that's great too. Mm. Yeah. That's... I, I, I wanted... Sorry, go ahead.
2: I was
0: just going to say that from my perspective, um, when hearing about this movement, it, it as, although it seems like you know a, a drop in the lake in terms of a uh, in terms of the, the range of issues that um, that uh, women face, it's an indication of oppression against women because of these double standards, this inequality to do with uh, how society perceives women's bodies. So um, yeah, that was my my observation. So
2: the reason that I asked particularly about the, the, the male gaze, the, and I'm going to try and link the two things that we just, just discussed. So I, I might not do a very good job, but I'm going to give it a go. And the reason I asked about that is because I believe, it's my view, that the over- overriding aspect of that patriarchy that you mentioned, which I think has been whittled down uh, fairly, fairly effectively over the years, but there's still a way to go, is the media aspect of it. And I think that the fact that the, that the media landscape, the media industry particularly the film and pornography industry has been overwhelmingly controlled by men um, since its inception, has commodified nudity, particularly um, this sort of seductive uh, aspect of filmmaking. And when you do that, you are going to try and control that and keep that in place so you can continue to make money off of the nipple, for example, which come down to it, like you said, it's completely harmless. But if that can be sexualized, and it's maybe one of the less kind of extreme forms of nudity, even to use that phrase extreme forms of nudity is bizarre, but, um, you know, it's it's like less sort of frontal than showing your, your genitals or whatever. If that can be controlled and that can be maintained, then there's a lot of money to be made, particularly in films um, like Hollywood, off of that commodity. And what that's done, in my view, when we look at the sort of how feminism has changed, um, is there still needs to be focus on these areas because they are important and they are stopping the sort of progression of the feminist movement. So things like free, the free nipple movement are really important and, and the kind of de-stigma, uh, destigmatizing around the nipple is, is, is really crucial. But what that's done is diverted attention off of um, sort of international feminist issues, which are much more difficult to, to confront and, and much more, I would argue, like you, like you said yourself, important to confront and it's not a criticism of feminism but it's a criticism of the kind of framework in which we have conversations it's a lot easier to sit there and debate on good morning britain whether the nipple should be freed like the female nipple should be able to be shown on instagram than it is to debate um how you know some regimes in in the middle east are still uh you know some of uh, some of the most sickening laws towards women you know it's much much easier to to have those discussions than it is to have those sort of broader international feminist discussions. And and that's why I think is a shame. So that's kind of why I asked the question, was just because I've had this kind of theory for a while that that might be a a reason. And once those areas, and I think this is beginning, once those areas, particularly in the media, um, because the media shapes so much of opposition from such a young age, start to come more in the hands of of all the people, um, then that will go a long way to kind of, uh, you know, progressing these these movements, these conversations. Um, So I think that needs to happen. So I think yes. I did an all right job of connecting the two things. I don't know, maybe.
1: <laughs> no, it's, I think I think you're right, and I think the issue of commoditizing um, women's bodies is 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 incredibly profitable, and it kind of cut it, it intersects really well with the the beauty industry and also with um, the kind of gender obsession that this society has. You know everything is gendered from toothbrushes to biro pens and you know if a if a company can make you buy a blue thing and a pink thing rather than just a neutral colored thing then you know they're they're, they're going to market that and yeah women's naked bodies or the idea of them or the concept you know subtly hinted idea of the woman's a woman's naked body that's used to sell everything isn't it from cars to perfume um, holidays Um, but yeah I mean the the knock on impact of that is that um, is that we you know we have no agency we have no agency in our sexuality our sexuality is preventing us from being safe in public spaces our bodies are are seen as you know either disgusting or pornographic Um, Mm. people have have sort of said um, that uh, yes. Yeah, so trigger warning. Just trigger warning for the next thing I'm going to say. Um, people have said to me that um, breathing nipple is the reason why so many women get raped. Um, and, and, you know, when people have these ideas that <laughs> a woman daring to show her own skin, you know, not we're not talking about genitals or sex organs. We're just talking about the, you know, showing skin in the way that you guys can any day of the week um and when that kind of
0: violence is suggested um yeah that kind of comment as a result of that sorry i was just gonna say that kind of comment is not only is is really offensive anyway but it's also incredibly insulting to men saying that men when they see a woman's breast can't control themselves so much that they they feel like they have to rape a woman i I don't know it's it's a crazy thing to, to suggest not only is it yeah, offensive to women, agree. but it's also, well, it's also offensive to men.
2: <laughs> yeah, that it is, it is. Um, I, that was going to be my next question. I, 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 and it was going to be that sort of, what's the pushback? Like what kind of backlash have you had? What sort of response have you had from people that don't
1: agree? Um, so, um, there's been a real mixed bag. Um, like you said, when you said that you saw the, the march when you been to Brighton and the sort of vibe that's like the general response mm. is, is people just loving it um, and yeah we, we did the march on the uh, day of one of the World Cup matches one time and that was a risk that was a big risk um, but, <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> but the, it, was, it was well received I mean who knows for what reason but <laughs> people were enjoying it um, but generally yeah people are like standing on tables and cheering and clapping and um, loving it. The best um, the best response I've seen so far is um, a woman kind of on the seafront, we were on the march, she froze and stared at us and was rapidly trying to read all the banners, trying to take in what was going on and then she just died to cheer and then she just ripped her own top off. So that was like a really, that was a really beautiful moment. Um, on the other end of the scale we've had people um yeah kind of saying these horrible comments online like uh the the comment i said earlier um also people saying like why don't you go and get a job um which is bizarre because, if you like, don't <laughs> actually, yeah. um, and um yeah why why are you um why are you are offending other cultures and um you know why don't you where what where are the women who are marching about this issue and that issue And just this kind of, um, yeah, trying to derail the um, the sort of uh, motivation behind the mark. Yeah. We also had some people come down and, like, make, like, a mockumentary about us, um, which was hilarious, but really disrespectful. Like, they were, like, chasing me around, and it wasn't very nice. Um,
0: Can't you, like, sue them for that sort of thing, maybe? Or, or, like, is there a way of...
1: (laughs) I did go to the police right. Um, they'd been harassing me for for the whole day. Um, and eventually I called the police about cause we had an after party and I called the police at that because they were, um, they were trying to kind of break into the after party venue. Um, and the police turned up two hours later with a pencil and a notebook and did absolutely fuck all about it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it wasn't great. They didn't come back so luckily after that. Um, but yeah, in terms of other like reactions, I'm just oh yeah, a funny, <laughs> a funny thing that happened one time that really makes me laugh is um, when we were on the march, a, a mum like covered her son's eyes, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like a young child, um, you know. But that
2: in it- itself is an issue, isn't it? Yeah. Because that in itself suggests there's something wrong, right? That this is the problem, like <laughs> you know, that's that's. It- contributed to the thing that you're trying to highlight is that this isn't something that should be sexualized and by covering your son's eyes and saying oh look away or putting a pillow over the person's eyes or whatever you're highlighting yeah. exactly why you're having to go out and march
1: yeah exactly and and also like you know boys there's a horrible statistic isn't it about the age that boys have kind of seen hardcore pornography yeah by um and you know he was i i would I don't know, nine or ten years old, this boy, and and you just think actually that could have been a really good opportunity for a conversation about, um, you yeah. know, about bodies and about you know the fact that just because a woman's naked it doesn't mean it's sexual. You mm. know that could yeah. have been a really helpful conversation.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I do th- I do think you know women are the perpetrators of of these attitudes as well. It's, it's not, well, you know, when we talk about the patriarchy and the male gaze, we're not talking about men explicitly we're talking about everybody who upholds those ideas and that can be women as well. Yeah. So that was a good example of that. It made me, sure.
0: um, going back to kind of what you were saying earlier about the, uh, about theatres and about, uh, you know, they have to get a, a, a license to, for the, for nudity or whatever. Um, I, and and also it brought back a memory of when, uh, when I was in France, I was at school 16 years old, maybe, and we went to go and see a, uh, an adaptation of Romeo and Julia and uh there was a sort of very tasteful sex scene in it uh and the and the the actress playing juliet took her top off at one point but this was in front of it was this whole play had been basically fully done for 14 to 16 year olds at school and i think that kind of thing shows exactly it's the opposite of what this woman was doing covering her child's eyes you know it's uh that you're you're showing that as if it's a normal thing as if you know there's nothing to be ashamed of it your you te- your I, I know there are probably people that would probably think how, how a school shouldn't be showing 14 year olds uh a lady's breasts or something but
2: i'm just thinking of the sort of reaction that would have got at my school
0: exactly well this is my thought as well because it would have been carnage yeah Yeah. here it would have been crazy but it's like part of the culture over there so for some so obviously it was still you know there are horny teenagers in the in the crowd (laughs) so obviously there was some discussion about it afterwards but not nearly as bad and not nearly as disrespectful i imagine as it probably would be if a similar thing happened here um Mm. Crazy to I about. just
2: remember like having sex education how difficult that was to get through um yeah. and that was like an yeah. environment that was created specifically to have those conversations uh so if there was like spontaneous boobs in a performance like oh it just would have been terrible you know it would have been and it never would have been allowed to happen anyway so you know I mean like you said that's probably part of the mm. part of the problem
1: this is like another sort of aspects of the things that we talk about is the fact that sex is just part of life as well. And yeah. the sort of I think that's actually really worth clarifying is that the idea of like desexualizing the female body is it's kind of we're we're not saying that, you know, the female body should never be sexual because yeah. sex is part of life and, you know, sex yeah. is great. I'm bisexual. I like breasts. I love looking at breasts. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the it's like the compulsory aspects of it and the the lack of context you know and and yeah. and yeah like you know what you're saying you know at, at your school where where there's this kind of tasteful sex scene to being shown to children that are 14 to 16 year olds they will know what sex is they will you know sex yeah. is part of their lives in yeah. one way or another whether it's just yeah. you know masturbation porn or whether it's you know relationships whatever like it it's to kind of constantly yeah be like Hiding it like it's this horrible, dirty secret that no one can talk about, and you know we've got to we've got to kind of bury all of our like base instincts and not speak about yeah. it and not experience pleasure in that way. It's really not it's not practical, but it's also like not healthy. No. Um, well,
2: so what you said earlier about somebody saying that you were you were offending people from different cultures having nipples. I mean, <laughs> really, it's that, that's the offensive part. Um, yeah, you're, you're totally also, right. In
1: in different cultures, nipples are. More normal, you know. We're talking about France, but also, you know, in in cultures around in cultures around the world, women walk around topless anyway. Like just, you know, in in normal village life, you know, it's um, commonplace. Very (laughs) funny.
2: I think it's such an important point. Sorry, if I can. I know it's weird. I think these these podcasts are more concise, and we could just talk that out. We could. Yeah. One of the things I think you raised (laughs) that's really important is as as guys, something that I've really had to do because. You know, I was lucky that I came from a family that were far more open about having discussions around sex from a fairly young age, and it wasn't something that was hidden. If I had any questions, I could ask away. I had kind of sex education at school, which was terrible, but also, like, we had discussions at home and stuff. However, there's nothing you can do to, really, as, as a young person, particularly in those, like, really defining ages of, I would say, like, nine to 16, to combat the bombardment of, Pornography, over sexualization um, over stimulation that you get from all forms of media, mm-hmm. whether it be sort of any kind of visual media from pornography or from music, because it is so it is it is targeted at you specifically because that stuff is designed to you know get clicks, get ad revenue and stuff. And something that I've really had to to do, particularly like since going to university, is like detoxify my relationship with sex and really work against that kind of more traditional approach of everything is sexual everything about women is sexual all the time um, and really refrain from using like whether it be certain dating apps or having certain conversations with people picking my friends up when they say stuff um, using certain porn sites like stuff like that having to step away from that stuff and and you know reading more broadly having more conversations with people it's so important that we do that you know it really is as guys have those conversations with your friends you know, be open to, to listening to, to people with different stories and um, think critically about the stuff that you're seeing and why you're seeing it. And that goes for everything, but particularly with sort of porn and, and you know, the over-sexualization of this stuff. Because like you say, sex is fine, but having a healthy relationship with sex um, is so crucial. Um, and being comfortable with it and not being, you know, going mental when you see a pair of boobs at 14 years old is probably uh, a good thing to try and aim for, I'd say. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I and I, I think you know stigmas and taboos sometimes I mean all they really do is prevent conversation around a topic mm. they don't kind of um yeah they they don't actually do anything to sort of prevent you know like the taboo around sex doesn't doesn't stop people thinking about sex or you know it just stop it just makes people embarrassed to talk about it so yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree I think the more conversations that we can all have um you know with each other with our peers you know men to other men in male spaces families to their children i think yeah, yeah. the yeah. more we can do that the better for sure yeah,
0: absolutely let's move on to quick five questions i know we're running okay. over as u- as, uh, as usual <laughs> uh the first question that i've got today we're only doing three as opposed to the five uh, that we normally do first one is do you think the metropolitan police should be reformed and if so where do you start
2: Ooh, that's the second part of that question is the most difficult
0: <laughs> you don't have to go into too much detail you know I'm not expecting uh, super well researched answers or really anything
1: make do. it more difficult for me <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, I think do
2: you want to go first B? Yeah.
1: oh do we all answer them? yeah
0: we do we all answer them yeah, yeah.
1: okay, cool. interesting interesting okay well I'll go first seeing as I jumped in yeah go for it, um, go for it. My... so this is my view not the view of Free the Nipple um, I don't think but um yeah i i i think that the police in so many situations do more harm than good and i think that money that goes to the police for dealing with certain services is completely and utterly wasted and as a system is responsible for violence discrimination and um you know it fa- yeah it fails it fails more people I would say than it it helps so I think the more money that can be given to like localised specific services particularly around sexual violence domestic violence and issues around racial violence um, the better.
2: I agree. Um, I I agree mostly with that. I think that the individual I would I would be very hesitant personally to lay the blame at at the individual at the individual police officer obviously there are exceptions to that rule, of course like any uh industry like any profession you're going to have um people who shouldn't never have been put in that position in the first place and my blame and I think the cause of poor policing comes from the 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 legislative level um I, I I would lay more I would attribute more blame to policymakers and I think that there are lots of Uh, There's lots of time and resources and laws that police officers are forced to enforce that they shouldn't be wasting their time on. And I think that um, drug policy is a fantastic example of this. Lots and lots of money and lots and lots of time is spent on policing um, non-violent drug offences, whether that be consumption or dealing, that um, they shouldn't have to spend time on. Um, I think that the area where I would be more critical of the police as an institution um, would be, you know, from a racism point of view, the MET police are institutionally racist, there's three separate reports to prove this, um, and policing protests as well. I think the legislation around policing protests is wrong, but I think the tactics that many, many police forces use, not just the MET, um, to police different kinds of protests, the Sarah Everard vigil was a perfect example of this, um, which we covered ext- extensively, uh, are, is, is, is wrong, violent, and, and reinforces aspects of police brutality and goes against the things that uh, any kind of healthy democracy should be wanting to enforce um so yeah my blame would be more on, on the sort of legislative level but i i think that yes uh, what was your question does it need reforming 100 yeah, percent.
0: yeah i mean i would agree I, I, especially with the, the the ways in which it needs reforming i mean it, i think it's been pretty um indicative over the last year especially the the various stories that keep coming out about how the Metropolitan Police has handled things um whether it be the the Sarah Everard vigil or the uh the two police officers who took pictures yep. of the uh corpses of two women who had been murdered, yep. whether it's the uh report that came out a few days ago on the murder of i can't remember his name back in the eighties uh but they found they tried to cover it up or tried to cover up uh the their investigation and how uh, poorly they they'd done. Um, whether it's Cressida Dick not being able to refuse to report on certain, on how the Mets handled certain things, uh, not being held accountable. I think there's definitely a lot of ways in which it needs reforming. Um, hopefully it will be. My second question is what would be at the top of your list of things to add to the sex education curriculum? B, would you like to go Um, first if you've thought about it?
1: So, my thing would be consent, number one in whether we're talking about hugs, sitting on someone's lap, you know, stopping in the middle of sex, stopping moments before sex, any of those kinds of scenarios, consent I think is probably the most important thing that we need to teach um, sex education wise, but also pleasure, including masturbation and the final thing I was going to say was like LGBT relationships yeah. including asexuality mm-hmm. um trans and non-binary and intersex identities as well as just like gay relationships and all the things that that encompasses
2: yeah yeah, no I completely agree um the one that sprang to mind to my mind first of all was LGBTQ plus relationships um particularly I think it, it's awful that I mean we had no education at all um on, on, in general, the LGBTQ plus, uh, community, but particularly relationships. I think it's, it's. I can't imagine how difficult it must be to grow up, um, and have your sexual identity not just uh, fought against, but also to have absolutely no education on the way that you you should be, no help, no support about the way that you should be experiencing or could be experiencing in life and, and it must be i can't imagine how difficult that must be so that would be my first one but consent is another fantastic um uh, suggestion and um i think that just looking at sex from a much more healthy way and not just about um conceiving you know 99.9 percent of the sex that m- all of us have in our lives would be is, is for pleasure is to yeah. not actively not conceive <laughs> um so i would say that yeah they're they're great great suggestions i just completely agree
0: yeah i couldn't agree more either i think that i would also expand even the lgbtq plus education stuff to relationships as a whole as Mm. well or to include relationships as a whole as well because i don't think that uh children are taught nearly enough about how to how to how to properly uh communicate with people and and make sure that you're you're on the same wavelengths and that it's not a it's not a there's no competition involved. There's no it should be all about you know everybody <laughs> having a good time and, and making sure that nobody gets hurt yeah. in the process. Um, that's not really talked about uh, at all, really, at school. Yeah, like and pop, pop, abusive
1: relationships and yeah. stuff as well. Education yeah. Around, mm.
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there needs to be education around pornography too. I think that would be enough. Sure. I mean, there's so many. There's sex, <laughs> sex education is so shit. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, it just needs all it all needs overhauling. Sure.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my final question is uh what was the last song you listened to? That
2: question. <laughs> Should we find out?
0: Yeah. B do you have an answer already?
1: Oh, yeah. oh all right, a... let me just look at my phone cuz I forgot it. Hold up, hold up. Yeah.
2: I've got my Spotify up to have a look at what the, my last song I listened to was. and It's actually a <laughs> podcast. This <laughs> really unhelpful. Um I think it probably would have been uh if I'm, It would have been one of, because this is the, at the top of my Spotify list at the moment. It would have been, hate to say I told you so, by The Hives. Or probably Strange Brew by Cream. Be the, no. If I had to have a guess, it would be one of those.
0: <laughs> what about yours, Pete?
1: Mine was Crazy Pete, Heartbreaker, which is kind of new disco, because I'm obsessed with disco.
0: I'm going to have to look that up oh. afterwards, because I don't think I've heard it mine was
1: what was yours Brett Bon Jovi
0: <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> not actually no it was On and On by Erica Badu oh nice yeah.
1: that's a banger it
0: is yeah randomly I think I listened to it last night and yeah I, I checked before the podcast to make sure but I was surprised I was with myself on, as I, well thought it would be like Bon Jovi I was on a run or something.
2: yesterday yeah or yeah. Well, ACDC they're no, usually the two yeah <laughs> I, I, was, I was on a run yesterday I was just like put on a radio for a song and uh like three of the songs in a row were electric six. So I listened to like gay bar and then um, help me out. What's the other one where in the video they've got light up.
1: The danger.
2: They, yeah. High voltage. That's it. Yeah. So I, I couldn't change the song on my run. <laughs> <laughs> electric six it was so ridiculous. It was, a great run it was, it was really good running Yeah. Uh,
0: well, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thank you so much it's for joining us, bad. B yeah it was great
1: yeah it was great to chat yeah thanks for having me on (laughs) where can people get involved and find out
2: more about the free nipple movement that's something we we didn't ask feel free to plug absolutely anything you like
1: okay so find us on instagram is probably the best place free the nipple brighton we're planning a march for later this year provided it's safe by our own standards to do so because we're disability inclusive and we don't want to have a march that excludes some of our communities so Hopefully, we'll be going ahead in August, but yeah, stay tuned to the insert. We're also, we have a website, through the com. Um, so we'll be posting information about the event there. Um, so yeah, come say hi, um, give us a follow, give us a shout. Cool. All
0: nice. that will be in the description, as always. So uh, yeah. yeah, thank you all for watching or cool. listening, uh, and we'll see you next week.
2: Thanks, guys. Bye.